Hello and welcome to Muppet Sational, the Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's season one, episode 22, starring Broadway baby Ethel Merman. It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppetsational! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Muppetsational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jade Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And we are back, although not really for a break for you, but after about a month off of recording for us. (gasps) (laughs) That Twiggy episode was so awful, we all had to take a moment. (laughs) We needed a lie down. (laughs) (laughs) Because we've been put into a coma from how how dull that episode was. So although it feels seamless to you, we are back reinvigorated after the slight reopening of society. How's everybody doing? I'm just going to check in because it's been so long since we've all chatted. Well, it's been a month and also I've known Emma my whole life. So, you know, it's it's not that long. <laughs> How are you both doing? Yeah, I'm good. Enjoying, well, I was going to say enjoying summer, but it's definitely not really summer outside. Definitely enjoying things being back open again, though. Yes, absolutely. Emma, that's And Emma, I assume you're just fine then. I'm just fine. <laughs> We've already lost her, Lewis. We're two minutes in and we've already We're two lost min- her. I'm already crashing. <laughs> she- no, Emma, don't watch that Twiggy episode again. <laughs> you were meant to be watching Ethel Merman, Emma. Ethel Merman. It's okay. How could we miss Ethel Merman? Jade, I think you should kick us off with some production information. Yes, let's do it. Let's see if I remember how we do this. Okay, so this... It's been a month, Jade. All right. <laughs> I'm only being stupid. I think I could do most of this in my sleep at this point. Right, so this episode was originally broadcast on the 5th of February 1977. The production code lists it as the 22nd episode made, and therefore Disney Plus have included it as episode 22. It was written by Jack Burns, Mark London, Jim Henson and Jerry Jewell, and directed by Peter Harris. And Emma, I would like to think that Ethel Merman needs no introduction, but... I suppose there might be some people who are slightly less into Broadway. Broadway! (laughs) Yes, well, like you said, Jade, I mean, I don't know if Ethel really needs an introduction, but like you said, I think it's good to uh, introduce her to anyone who hasn't heard of her. So Ethel Merman uh, was known as the Queen of the Musicals. Um, She was in Broadway, she was on films, she's an actress and a singer. And she was noted as the most successful musical comedy performer of her generation. She's got iconic songs attached to her, um, which we'll probably talk about later on as we get through the episode. Most notably, No Business Like Show Business. She's been in countless Broadway shows from Gypsy to Hello Dolly to Annie Get Your Gun. And basically, she's been described as a giant of Broadway. I Kermit. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I, she's iconic. She is yes, a legend. She, she is. is the moment. Now, come on now. Well, she's not the moment anymore. She's dead. But <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, has anybody, have either of you ever seen her in, a, in a, a musical or a movie? I must have seen her in a movie. Have you seen There's No Business Like Show Business? I've seen snippets of her. I haven't seen her like a whole film, 
but she's definitely got presents. Oh, for, oh, she's got presents in bags. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a really hilarious episode of the Judy Garland show where Ethel is technically not the guest for the episode, but she's recording another special next door. So they just bring her in for one number. And it's just, <laughs> and she thinks there's no business like show business. And it's <laughs> Ethel Merman, Judy Garland, and is it Barbara Streisand? No. As the third guest? Wow. I don't know if she if, if she pops up in the Barbara episode just for this one number. And it's just three broads just belting. It's just like they're screaming down the camera. Just there's no business. <laughs> it's just camp. It's so camp. I can't remember if it's Barbara, but it's somebody. But whoever the third guest is looks terrified because Judy and Ethel are just belting like to high heaven. It's uh, It's... It's something. Look it up. <laughs> it sounds like a must watch. I'm maybe not on your laptop or something. Like you need the full surround sound experience going on on that little YouTube clip. <laughs> you want the full Dolby audio. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. Atmos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dolby Atmos. Oh, I don't have the Apple Music money. <laughs> I wish. She is completely iconic. And I feel like they... I mean, I am jumping clearly to the very end here, but the fact that they felt the need for Miss Piggy to give her flowers and things at the end just felt like they were clearly so excited to have her on the show and yeah. and treat her like the queen that she she is slash was. <laughs> is slash was. <laughs> well, I think this is a perfect time for us to jump into the episode. Now, usually we sort of skip past the opening titles, but of course, this week we had a little variation. We had Fozzie popping his way back through, it looked like, to complain about nobody having enjoyed his joke. I wasn't sure if it was that nobody enjoyed his joke or that he suddenly realised he'd spent $300 at a diet doctor and he was like looking at his receipt and going like, I've spent too much money. I wasn't sure. Oh, yeah. Maybe that makes more sense. Yeah, because I think the gag was that he said he lost and then he said $300 rather than like £300 or weight, some kind of weight. Yeah, I hope he didn't lose £300. That would probably be a bit... That would be bad. This used to be my bear skin and it's just fuzzy holding out some extended fuzzy bear dresses. (laughs) Fuzzy suddenly with Janice cheekbones. Uh, uh, Um... Yeah, I that was I, so Emma. I think we understood it the same way that he was basically trying to find someone to complain to that it had cost him three hundred dollars. Yeah, it was really cute, and Frank Oz played it perfectly. Fozzie looked so confused and so perturbed, and like, no, I want to speak to someone, and then was like, oh, okay, the show's starting. I better, I better get back behind the curtain. Fozzie had some really great reactions this episode. We'll he get did. to them as we go he across, did. but he was really adorable at some points. It was very, very cute and really sad sack at others, and I just got a bit. But yes, he was he was super adorable at other moments too. <laughs> oh, bless him. I feel like we almost had two runners in a way in this episode. We had mm. the main runner, which was the fozzy and the agent and the negotiation. And then we had the second runner, which was Piggy, effectively, first of all, <laughs> saying that she was going to do a tribute to Ethel Merman and Kermit saying, <laughs> yeah. why on earth would you do that? She's on the show. Um <laughs> But then her realising that actually this is a prime opportunity to get some top tips from <laughs> from one of her idols and, and trying to get in there with, with learning to sing from Ethel. So I enjoyed that we had this introduction at the top of the show where Kermit was doing his usual spiel about the guest star for the week and saying how, how amazing Ethel is. But Piggy crashed it too and was like, Hello, I'm here. I want to sing a song. Yeah, it sort of gives... It, it. I don't know about you, 
both. But this episode felt like it went so quickly to mm. me that I almost wondered whether something had been cut. I did not look it up to see if it had. But it went so fast. And I wonder if it just felt so packed full of incident and mm. songs and a good guest. But also the fact that there was almost three plots threading mm. through. That it felt like yeah. there was a, a, enough decent material to keep the show like rocketing along. There was only maybe two moments where I thought, okay, well, this is, feels a little bit fillerish. But every time we sort of were changing or jumping to another plot point, you can feel the show in its groove properly. It felt really good. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I think the sheer amount of story definitely helped it move along because mm. you did have that sense of momentum. And even actually, again, sorry, I know I keep jumping forward, but even finishing with There's No Business Like Show Business but coming off the back of Fozzie's dour act failing once again, like that felt like a crescendo. That felt like Mm -hmm. a culmination Mm. of the episode in a way that I don't really think we've actually seen at all before. Not in that sense of it, the backstage and the onstage coalescing in a way that actually sort of ties it all together very nicely in a very nice neat bow. The closest I can think is when we had Kermit go from backstage to onstage singing It's Not That Easy Being Green. Yes. However, that wasn't a crescendo. That was very much a yeah. slightly downbeat <laughs> note to, to end the episode on. So this felt much more like, well, like a movie musical, yes, really, exactly. where you, you build to a finale yeah. Yeah. and you build from story into song. Completely. Completely. Yeah. I mean, we, we'll get into the discussion. Yes. We, we can't keep jumping forward. <laughs> Sorry, to everyone. No bit- <laughs> We've got many more things to cover first. But let's jump into the, uh, the first number, the Java sketch. This was simple, but it was so pleasing to me in so many ways. I thought it was really cute, actually. I actually put like, squee! No, oh, my for God's sake. It's not 2013. Yeah, 2013. No, I thought it was really cute. Eek. Um it was quite funny. It did kind of make it's me not think It's a Kathy cartoon, Jade. <laughs> chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Emma, carry on. No, that's okay. It did kind of have like a bit of a hugger wugger you are my sunshine vibe to it i thought just with all the like dry ice and the explosions and the kind of like weird puppetiness but it was quite cute it was fun i love the goggly eyes and the fact that like, the little one kind of keeps sneaking in to take the limelight trying to push the sort of big squishy springy jumpy thing out the way it was quite cute i i thought it was a nice opener yeah i don't think it was quite as bizarre as Hugga Wugga was. True. There was much more of a structure to it and you got that it was just a bit, you know, an act, a turn. The music and the very simple, that thump ba dump ba mm. I don't know why that I was just like, ooh, this is really nice. I like this. And Emma, you're right. Anything that's got some googly eyes on it, it's always going to be a winner in my book. <laughs> it's It goes back to Mr. Posh Fridge all over again. The googly eyes on the big one cracked me up. They felt to me like an embodiment of Garfield saying like, I hate Mondays or whatever. Mm. Like he was so far rolled up into the big one's head. (laughs) I just just thought it was hilarious. And the little one's enormous eyes. (laughs) Oh, it was so, so cute. I did a little bit of research on it and Jim Henson was puppeteering the big one and Frank Oz puppeteers the little one. And I think like 
when I watched it, I could tell that they were being puppeteered by people who clearly knew exactly what they were doing. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, there was a there was an elegance and an effortlessness to it. The bit when the big one turned around, how did they do that? To... Yeah. Jade, I was just about to say the same thing. When I was watching it, I thought, okay, so it's all front facing. It's tapping to the side, it's tapping to the side. And then it managed to do a full loop and there was no slightly awkward, you know, black arm coming over the colour of the puppet. It was just flawlessly done. And actually, and it came at a perfect point where the act could start to feel a bit familiar or samey or, Mm. okay, I get what this is. And then you have that nice little inversion and then you you're suddenly going oh i didn't realize i didn't think this puppet would be able exactly. to do that and then yeah. you know the build of the the little puppet getting bigger and then obviously the crescendo of the of smoke it it all it it was just a really lovely self-contained little skit i thought it was great yeah and i think it also felt really nice that it built to the two of them finding that rhythm together and doing it together mm. because there was a real pleasure in seeing that done perfectly in time but then also having that final twist of the little one getting his own back and shooting Mm. the big one with the hugger wugger smoke i think we should call it that forever now (laughs) um but yeah i like i thought it was a really really lovely start to the episode and again when i was looking it up i saw that actually they're they're called they're just called java the big java little java and they were made into like toys they you could you could get action figures of them because they're so cute and everyone fell for them and this was a routine that they'd done you know they'd done it before and they did it again after this as well so it was a sort of very i think they knew how good it was and they just kept doing it they're also so nicely designed mm. and it also reminded me of when you were a kid and you were sort of <laughs> i was going to say playing with trash but that's not what i mean <laughs> when you're sort of handed some random objects yeah. you know whether it's something that can sort of you know expand and contract like well the the those little javas reminded me of you know that strange um pipe that comes off of a washing machine or a, a dryer yeah. sometimes yeah. that some people have i have no idea why they have them nobody has ever explained to me what they do <laughs> <laughs> i don't get it but as a child your mind can't help but think oh, that's a trunk, oh, that's an arm. It's imbuing something inanimate with life and a personality. And it's play and it's... And and and, and it, it and the way that they move makes so much sense with how they're designed, if that makes sense. It, it just felt so seamless and nice. It was just joyful. I also thought they were quite interesting in terms of... Because they were sort of slinky-esque, weren't they? In terms mm. of like... The, yes. In terms of the way that they kind of curved and moved in that way. But then they could go flat, which obviously a slinky... Mm can't do and when yes it can a slinky is flat until you play with it no but a slinky is only flat that way it can't go flat yeah turn it on its side jade (laughs) no but when it's like that it's spherical isn't it i mean completely flat like you'd have to you couldn't you couldn't get a slinky to go completely flat on the ground but did they go completely flat yeah they did i thought they just went you know long i didn't Maybe I was writing a note at that point. Maybe I missed that moment. Well, I felt like they went flatter than a slinky would go, if you know what I mean. (laughs) (laughs) I was surprised at how flat they went. Let's put it that way. Okay, fine. (laughs) And then, but then also they, especially the little one, obviously would sort of like shuffle along the floor like that or slide along, which again, a, a, a slinky wouldn't do. If it wasn't curved, if it was straight, it wouldn't move in that way. (laughs) 
<laughs> I looked away for a moment and then I came back and I was like, oh, we're still talking about this. <laughs> I'm so- <laughs> We've gone on another tangent. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jane. Just talking about the puppet design. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it yet. I didn't mean it to sound so... Oh, we're still talking about <laughs> I just lost my trail of thought for a second. <laughs> I haven't podcasted a lot. This is the longest conversation I've had in ages. Well, exactly. That's what I was going to say. You told me off for saying that I wouldn't remember my intro. And now you're the one that's like, oh, podcasts. What do we do? We talk about <gasps> Ooh, look puppets, at Lewis. <laughs> puppets. I was talking about a puppet. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm only teasing. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, I just thought they were really, really well designed. And it just, the way that they moved surprised me because I think, you know, not only the inversion, but also the fact that they they, they basically moved in ways that I wasn't expecting them to move. Mm. Um, there you go. There's a nice succinct, is that is that more like it? There it is. I don't know who's editing this week's episode, but maybe they could just cut to that part. They could just cut to that part. <laughs> <laughs> Just have you go, I really liked uh, how the way the puppet moved. <laughs> just, just a really sharp, jarring cut. Just, well, that lost three minutes. That was good. Did you both notice the little button when we cut to backstage after Statler and Waldorf as well? Annoyingly, I was writing a note and I saw them going by, but I didn't see what happened. So there were two little Muppet men and they had a stretcher with the big one on it. And so I think what it was meant to be was that after the little one had blasted him away with the Hugga Wugga smoke, he was injured and he needed stretching off, off of the oh. stage. Oh, <laughs> I did. It's funny. I did wonder if that was it, but I couldn't quite see. But that's quite funny. Actually. Yeah, it was really good. Well, I wonder if the reason you couldn't see if we're going to move into this next bit. Did you both notice that the lighting backstage was very different this week? Yeah. It had a red hue and a blue hue and it was a bit darker and a bit more... Honestly, it felt more like an actual backstage. Yes. Because I've never been in a backstage that well lit during a performance. They don't care. The Benny Van der Graaff Theatre don't care. They're like, lights on, talk at full volume, (laughs) have an explosion or two. It's not going to bother what's ever going on on stage. Um, Yeah, no, the lighting was different. And also, did you both notice how much stuff was everywhere? There were costumes everywhere. Yes, there there were props everywhere. I think it was all set up ready for There's No Business Like Show Business. They obviously got the backstage set up ready to do that. And that was it. (laughs) That was that was that was what you got the whole way through. I kind of hope they keep it. I doubt they will. But it, it gave it a really nice feel and I mean, I know I'm just saying the colour, but it really was just more interesting Mm. to look at rather than that quite dowdy, plain backstage. I felt like there was a bit too much going on in terms of costumes and props because I think because of the 70s cameras not obviously being particularly high definition, Mm. it made some of the things like that visual gag, for instance, a little bit hard to read. But I agree with you on the lighting. I think it would be nice if they gave backstage a bit more atmosphere Obviously, it's not going to be totally realistic because you wouldn't normally have <laughs> anything like no. proper lighting backstage. Yeah. But oh, it's oh, it's a joy just stumbling around in the dark, trying not to <laughs> trip over cables that haven't been stuck down, trying to desperately <laughs> like find your prop on the table. Just like, <laughs> which one's mine? Where's the gun? <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> That's not the end of the mousetrap. It's fine. <laughs> Just being silly. Did I mention I was in the mousetrap? Don't <laughs> <laughs> think I'd mentioned it in a week or two. Oh, bless Fozzie. 
with his terrible, terrible agent. <laughs> he needs to talk to his equity rep. He shouldn't be on a contract for no money. <laughs> But that's the thing, he's not even on a contract. <laughs> yes, that's why he needs to that's why he needs to talk to his equity yeah. rep even more desperately. It's not even like he's signed a zero hours contract. He signed no contract. Oh, do you know what? It's yeah. so funny. It does remind me of so when you if you're sort of rehearsing, certain shows will have a an equity rep come to your rehearsals to chat to you, being like, Hello, I'm your representative from Equity, which is the actors union. And as much as they are very good in a lot of ways, they are also sometimes quite a slow organisation to be able to get stuff done and sorted. And I do remember us having rehearsals for the mousetrap and the equity rep coming in and just giving us some general news about what equity had achieved. And one of the things they had done is that they had improved the premiums for the insurance for shows with puppets. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we've, we've raised the total that you can get if your puppets are damaged on a show. <laughs> we just sat there like, we are in the mouse trap. <laughs> there are no puppets in this show. <laughs> well, thank God the puppets that are all right. <laughs> puppets! <laughs> so then for the next few days, every shoulder we just look at each other and go, puppets! God's sake. <laughs> I am not currently a paid member of my union <laughs> And I shall leave that at that Now you're bad mouthing them <laughs> Oh I'm sure Equity's listening to this Muppets podcast <laughs> They probably are if they aren't getting more stuff done <laughs> I love you Equity, please let me have jobs <laughs> Anyway, speaking of showbiz types, should we move on to Ethel Merman's first number? Yeah, so we go into Ethel's big number, which is kind of in a backstage area with the uh, mirror with all the lights around. And then she starts doing duets with all the different Muppets. And it's adorable. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Ethel Merman. You're the Lou Museum. You're a melody of a symphony by Strauss. You're a Bandel Bonnet, a Shakespeare sonnet. You're Mickey Mouse. Is that a, is that a compliment? Well, you call me a Coliseum. <laughs> Sorry about that. If you're ever in a jam, here I am. If you're ever in a mess, SOS. If you ever feel so happy you land in jail, I'm your bail. It's friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship. When all the friendships have been forgotten, ours will still be hot, lot, 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 lot. She starts with Kermit, and then uh, she goes to Fozzy and Scooter and Gonzo and Uncle Deadly, and then. <laughs> Miss Piggy arrives. Wait, no, before that, we have those weird conjoined twin so Muppets. we had the two-headed oh, Muppet yeah, back. of course, I forgot about them. <laughs> Inexplicable. I can't, they're back. <laughs> I can't believe how much mileage they're getting out well, of this you know, when you have a song that's entitled Together Wherever We Go, there's only one Muppet for the job, and he has two heads. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not Gorgon Heap. <laughs> 
Oh dear. Lewis, I did wonder if you wanted. I I wrote down where all the songs were from. I did. I did wonder if we should do a little quiz for you on uh, if you knew all the songs. Oh shit! <laughs> we don't have okay. to. Okay. All right. No, let's try. I was wondering if it, I I did mean so to. So, do you this. remember what the first one was? Uh, the first one is "You're the Top." Yeah. You're the da 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 da. Do you know what it's from? Is it from the boyfriend? No. Because it's is it it's Cole is it Cole Porter? It is Cole Porter. Yes. Okay, I know it's Cole Porter, but I I don't know the musical. I've got it down as from Anything Goes. Oh, I've not seen that. Oh, okay. Oh, we might <laughs> Although I have tickets then. to see it at the Barbican. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a few from Anything Goes. Um, oh, well, that's good then. If any time we get to another one that I don't know, I'm just going to say Anything Goes then. <laughs> um, All right. The next one with Fozzy. Give me the title. It's Friendship. Oh, Anything Goes? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was originally from something called... Do Barry was a lady, I believe. <laughs> I know, right? All but right. then it got then it got co-opted into Anything Goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. The thing is, with a lot of these songs, they were standards that then yes. got chucked into a musical. Yeah. So these would have been sort of almost in the way, weirdly, that Moulin Rouge was a bunch of known songs that then got woven into a narrative. A lot of yeah. orig- like very early musicals were actually that. Fun fact, people. Before you sort of got onto the era where people are writing 20 songs specifically for a musical. But um, yes, carry on. Next. <laughs> so the next was De Lovely. Oh, bollocks. Um, mm, oh. Weirdly, I'm thinking of like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, but that can't be right because Ethel Merman was never a dancer. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. This is another Cole Porter and it was originally from Red Hot and Blue. Right. Never heard of that. So, But again... <laughs> It got co-opted. Co-opted into, into anything goes. goes. <laughs> yeah. anything I don't want to say anything goes, goes again. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Anything goes is just grabbing it from anywhere. And then, so and then we went into together wherever we go. That's Gypsy. Correct. Ding ding yeah. ding 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 ding. ding. Um, then with Uncle Deadly, it was You're Just In Love. No idea. But I mean, that was Anything one Anything goes? <laughs> hey! <laughs> Good guess, Emma. Unfortunately not. This one's an Irving Berlin song. Call Me Madam. But, yeah, that but, sounds right. Does that sound like a thing? We're just going to say that that's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. Actually, then we've got two, we have got two more. So we've got anything I can do, anything you can do, which is <laughs> anything goes. No, it's Annie, get your gun. Fuck! Oh shit! Sorry. Oh, sorry. Swore <laughs> and then swore again. Of course it is. Sorry. Oh <laughs> lord. Yeah, I know it is. Right. Next. And then finally, mutual admiration society. Anything goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got it down as Happy Hunting, oh, aka. Oh, it's the Hunger Games musical. <laughs> yes, it's from Happy Hunting, written by Harold Carr, lyrics by Matt Doobie. That is his real name. I haven't Matt made that Doobie. up. Okay, well, I kind of uh, failed at that one, didn't I? <laughs> However, I did absolutely love this entire sketch. One. Absolute kudos to Ethel Merman for getting it agreed that she could sit down for an entire number. <laughs> Loving it. <laughs> and still be able to belt like that, well, actually. Very impressive. they would impressive. have pre-recorded it. So do you think she probably sang it stood up to start with? Oh, perhaps. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I, I thought that too. Like, I was like, sure. I mean, she probably can sing that well sat down, to be honest, but... She probably did stand yeah. up. I also thought the slightly hilarious moment at the beginning with Kermit where... Uh, Ethel sings, you're Mickey yes. Mouse. 
And I just thought, ah, give it 50 years and he'll be your boss. I know. <laughs> he seemed really, well, he didn't seem too upset, but he did seem a bit like, you what? You what are you calling me? <laughs> I do wonder, had it been any more uh, detrimental, whether we would, would have just got like a little stuck on Tinkerbell over, the, <laughs> over whatever he said or did. Or they would have just cut this whole number. <laughs> yeah. Just... <laughs> uh, you, just, you just cut to four seconds of the uh, Disneyland castle and then it cuts back. <laughs> yeah. Or what you joked that you prefer before with a sort of, we'll be back soon and Kermit with a megaphone or something, just like in a test card. Yeah, 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 exactly. Technical difficulties. <laughs> Yeah, it was really, really sweet. It was really well done. I'm guessing she was sat down because of the fact it was so many different Muppets Mm. and it was easier to bring them in one at a time as they did. And also, obviously, because they made the most of that mirror set up with her dressing table. Yeah, definitely. And I really liked how you really got a sense of all of the Muppets' characters with that as well. Yeah. Like, most of them were very respectful. (laughs) You know, like, Gonzo and Scooter were not leaning through that mirror at all. Whereas Miss Piggy was basically coming through it the minute she walked on stage. And obviously it did not take long (laughs) for her to walk around and be (laughs) actively harassing Ethel. (laughs) Um, Uh. And I really, I think this might be one of the moments you were mentioning earlier, Lewis. I loved Fozzie in this. He was doing this cute little dance the whole way through friendship. It was so sweet. It was very cute. It was really cute. And he was like nuzzling up to her as well. It was really, really lovely. I enjoyed this a lot. I thought it had a really, really nice vibe to it. And it was also just nice to see so many of the major Muppets in a single song. Because Mm. that's something we've complained about quite a lot. But actually this episode the whole way through seemed to do that so well. We actually saw yeah. them. Yeah. They, they sang a song. They interacted with the guest. It was amazing. It was really nice. And actually, I was just thinking when I was watching it, I think it's the first time where the whole kind of Muppet magic kicks in. Because like you say, mm. everyone is interacting. Everyone is in character. Everyone is singing. Everyone is in sync. Do you know what I mean? It all clicks in together because we've had songs in the past where you've had a couple of Muppets singing and maybe some in the background or some just dancing or some coming on or off of stage. But I actually just thought this one was just really like beautiful and showcased all of the talent. I think there's something also about the fact that Ethel Merman is such a perfect fit for the Muppets. She is a show person. Yeah. She's, you know, put on a show. I'm from Broadway. And the Muppets are show people. You know, they travel with trunks and they turn up and they try their best to put on a show. They're, 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 they're very cohesive in that sense. So it's no trying to fit the Muppets into a persona of somebody else. They're all of the same persona, except she's a very grand dame. And it's great. It's just really lovely to see. Yeah, and I think there was something... I, I noted it more in the talk spot, which we'll obviously get to. But with this, you still got it. Like, they are all being charming but they are also clearly all charmed. Yes. The Muppets and the performers of the Muppets are charmed by Ethel, but she is equally charmed by the Muppets themselves. And it just... Would you say it's a mutual admiration society, Jamie? (laughs) But it is, it is, isn't it? It feels, it just makes it feel so lovely. There's a warmth to it that I think has absolutely been missing in the episodes that we have not enjoyed. I just want to shout out Statler and Waldorf's joke after this about being at the opening of Panama yes. Hattie, which one, 
did not research, is that a real musical? Yes, it is. Fuck! <laughs> are you kidding me? Panama Hattie! It probably coincided oh with God. the opening of the Panama Canal. <laughs> uh, but what it also reminded me of was one of my favourite ever like run of sketches on Saturday Night Live, which is Secret Word, and Kristen Wiig yes. playing Broadway <laughs> legend Mindy Elise Grayson, and every time when she'll introduce a bizarre sounding musical and then sing a number from it like scientist jane and the man monkey <laughs> or, <laughs> or wood full of laney <laughs> panama hattie is another cole porter musical and it was also made into a mgm musical uh produced by arthur freed so Wow. I mean, Panama Hattie just sounds like such a hammy joke. I cannot believe it. It's just terrible. It is just terrible, isn't it? Yeah, but but I love it. But if 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 anybody listening has never watched the uh, SNL secret word sketches, I would really really <laughs> recommend them. Particularly the one where Emma Stone guest hosts and she plays the recent winner of uh, Miss USA, uh, Charlene Stumphries. <laughs> she plays a beauty pageant winner whose specialist skill was a ventriloquist dummy, and it's just really weird and really great. Peter and I quote that to each other all the time, particularly the way she just goes, thank you. <laughs> she does like a little dead-eyed wave. It's relevant because she has a puppet. When you started by saying, if you haven't checked out, I really thought you were going to be something along the lines of Panama Hattie. <laughs> it's really underrated. It should be like Gypsy. It should have the same reputation as Gypsy. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, Panama Hattie, bloody hell. Well, so from... I want... Oh, God. Why is this going to... From Panama... Ha- oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> come on, guys. Get it together. <laughs> you go. You go. <laughs> well, from Panama Hattie to Irving Bazaar, theatrical agent. <laughs> what did we think of this? <laughs> Emma? <laughs> yeah. Um. Quite weird and odd. Um, explains a lot of things about Fozzy and his non-existent comedy career, to be honest. <laughs> Lewis, swallow that water, Lewis. Swallow, swallow. Ow, it hurts so much because it had so many bubbles in it. That's your own fault for getting your new soda stream canister. <laughs> oh, sorry. For the listeners at home, Lewis is clearly in a lot of pain right now. Ow, it burns. <laughs> I can feel it in my oh nostrils. God, my laugh just went like red on the Richter scale on here. <laughs> okay. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you sure? Yeah, carry on. <laughs> so yeah, this guy was a will freak. This was very strange. Although Kermit was being very mean to him. He was being so mean. I, I, When Fuzzy said no short jokes, I, I mean, I guess maybe because we haven't recorded in a while, I sort of forgot how relatively mean Kermit is still at the 70s moment. Kermit's a bit of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, you don't need to tell Kermit that. He's he totally knows how to handle, you know, all shapes and sizes. No, not not this <laughs> version of Kermit. <laughs> little what was he saying? Rich little tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. Oh yeah, again, another reference to the Muppets, you know, yep, future performances yet to come. <laughs> I mean, Irving Bazaar why was he just a top hat and shoes? Did he have a cigar as well? 
I he should have had a cigar. I honestly thought that would have made it if he'd yeah. had a cigar. If there'd been a cigar hang, I, I'm going to use the phrase "hanging out," hanging out between the top hat and one one of the shoes. That would yeah, <laughs> just tucked Perfect. out the side. And just every so often, a little Groucho Marx kind of like wiggle of it would have been great. Yeah, he did have some. Um, oh, what are they called? He had stripy trousers. Spats. On. Thank you. Yes. Oh, are they, are they spats? No, the spats are the things that go on top of the shoes. Um, just pinstripe. They're just pinstripe trousers. I wasn't sure if they had yeah. a fancy term. Okay. Yeah. I don't think so. I didn't actually mind the runner. You know, it was clearly very, very silly. And you could obviously see the punchline coming of Kermit upping the price of Fozzie's contract and it and it gonna be oh. it's ten times nothing. The minute that entire scene started, I just oh please just get to the end of this. <laughs> I just <laughs> We are wasting everybody's time here. <laughs> but I like I really didn't particularly enjoy Fozzie's set this week and I felt like the two became so intertwined even with how kermit introduced fozzy on stage and everything saying he's in the middle of a contract negotiation that could kick him off the show and things i feel like in a way fozzy's set actually ended up bringing the actual backstage runner down a little bit for me Mm. but also it was just weird like it was so weird having fozzy keep scooping up this little top hat and shoes (laughs) and taking him off and then like when miss piggy saw him and she was like she was like oh kermy and then she saw him and was like what is that (laughs) (laughs) it it did feel more adam's family than the muppets yeah it should have been some strange uncle that had just uh arrived (laughs) cousin it's cousin from across the way i liked this next little insert bit we had with ethel and hilda and animal yes i thought this was just a cute little moment of (laughs) of another joke of the mouse is in the dressing room and where's the mouse gonna change (laughs) She's in the band. <laughs> also, just uh, Ethel just casually like punching Animal on the top of yes. his head. The first of a couple of punches she threw at Muppets during this show. <laughs> she was taking no prisoners. Anyone crossed her ever so slightly, they were getting a thump or a punch or a smack. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> it was cute. It was very cute. And I loved her slightly sailor-esque dress yeah i wrote that down too <laughs> you can't go wrong with a sailor dress <laughs> i could wear that <laughs> <laughs> now what did you both make of the uk spot this week because i to start with i hadn't even realized it was the uk spot because it was so different than all of the other uk spots that we've had but on reflection i then was like oh yes of course this was the UK. Of yeah. course. <laughs> it it was it was very different for the Muppet show because it's it's another one of those things where it's the extension of reality of where the show mm. can perform. The closest comparison I can think is the Valerie Harper episode where she does an mm-hmm. entire number backstage. And this time we have a mouse in a teacup performing on the balcony where Statler and Waldorf sit. Singing, don't sugar me. Miss Mousy. Miss Mousy. Miss Mousy. Um, I'll let Emma give her thoughts first and then I'll give mine. Oh, 
It was definitely one of the more interesting UK spots that we've had. And it was quite nice to have something a bit different. But I mean, it is in a teacup that's on Statler and Waldorf's balcony. And she's singing quite a random song. But she, I thought Miss Mousy was quite cute. I thought it was quite funny. She's got, she had a little bit of rhythm and sway to her. I liked her kind of, I'm not quite sure what her get-up outfit was meant to be. <laughs> yeah! That's <laughs> why she dressed like some sort of Miss Periwinkle. Yeah, like Mick you know, Cockney Mouse tiggy- or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she had, she had turned up to audition for Muppets Christmas Carol 30 years earlier. That's what I thought. I literally thought, Jesus for us, Mises. Oh. <laughs> it was strange. And it was, I don't know if the song felt slightly sexy in a way, which then in her, you know, full Victorian maid outfit didn't make much sense. I, I wrote down, is this where Dita Von Tees got her cocktail glass burlesque number idea? <laughs> she maybe saw this as a child and then thought, Straight maybe not Miss a Mousy. teacup and maybe not with a weird elasticated <laughs> hat on. Bonnet. Bonnet. Yeah, bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, nipple tassels. <laughs> I really appreciated that they were using the green screen to amazing effect in this. Statler and Waldorf were giving really good reactions to the song the whole way through. And actually, compared to some of the CG effects we've seen on the show so far, this mm. was pretty seamless. Like, mm. it was it was a really decent effect. And I actually feel like the UK spot is the perfect place for them to be experimenting with something like this, to see whether it works And then if it does work, they can obviously use it in other ways, you know, in the main show. But I agree with you, Lewis, the the vibe of the song was very weird. It kind of had these weird tea innuendos. Is that even a thing? I didn't think it was a thing until this, but it, it did. It had this sort of sexy vibe that was not, I don't know, it just didn't feel right, especially with her singing with Statler and Waldorf in the background. Like, it was just a bit strange. Mm. I also did, I also just realised, because I wasn't quite sure what the UK spot was. And as it started, I thought, why didn't they just make explicitly clear in the previous scene that she's got a number just about Mm. coming up, the mouse that they joke about? Because it's not actually made clear that this mouse that's in this teacup is even the same mouse we were talking about moments ago. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. I suppose the only thing would be, though, is the fact that obviously for a US audience, they're not going to see that. Yeah. Well, no, exactly. Yeah. 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 And then she dies at the end. <laughs> I, I well, would they assume. They push her off the well, ledge. She's, she's definitely severely injured, even if she's not critical. <laughs> she's got a little leg twitch and her little oh, bonnet's no, fallen off. I see that. Poor Miss Mousy. The bonnet's askew. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the bonnet's askew. There's a murder mystery title if ever you wanted one. The bonnet's askew. <laughs> It sounds like an episode of, like, Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> yeah. One of those ones where Angela Lansbury doesn't actually play Jessica Fletcher. Instead, she plays, like, a weird 1920s cockney woman that yes. pop up every sort of, this is just what my cousin Jessica would do in one of her famous books. <laughs> um, Before we get completely off track, I just <laughs> want to mention that the the Don't Sugar Me song was written by Walt Kelly. Cole Porter? Anything goes. <laughs> no, Walt Kelly, who was the creator of Pogo, which I don't know if either of you have heard of, is a cartoon that was really big in the, I think in like the 50s and 60s. Um, I've never heard of that. But um, Pogo was really influential to Jim Henson. And he spoke often about how Pogo was a really big influence on how he 
basically created like the troop of Muppets and Kermit in a lot of ways is sort of modelled on Pogo and Pogo's relationship with his crazy friends that he hangs out with in the same way that Kermit's in the centre of the Muppets in the Muppet show. So, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so I think, as far as I know, not a song that was performed at the Jim Henson Memorial, but I'm guessing <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to include it as a as a tribute to someone who had, had been a big creative influence on him from when he was yeah. younger. Oh, that's yeah. very cute. Mm. Well, from a teacup with a mouse in it to an empty champagne glass, <laughs> we, uh, we then come to the talk spot, which was... Fun. I really liked this. This was one of the highlights of the episode to me. I did like it. It was just the second Piggy walked on with the empty champagne glass. I just you thought, knew what was going to happen. Yes. Precisely. I just thought, oh, let's just, I, I'd rather we get this out of the way sooner. <laughs> <laughs> but I did like the. I did like the reference to Gypsy they had within the dialogue of you mm. either got it or you ain't. <laughs> I thought the whole thing was really, really well done, and I felt like. Ethel, in particular, had a really natural way about her in the talk spot, which quite often guests don't when they're sat on the sofa talking to Kermit. There's the, True. She, she had a very, very affable, fun... Like, I wrote, I wrote down, she looked so happy. Like, she looked so happy the entire time, and it didn't feel forced, and it didn't feel... Like she was really having to ham it up or anything. She looked genuinely just like, I'm enjoying my time with the Muppets and this is a great fun thing for me to be doing this week. I, I think I was perhaps maybe still a bit sour from how mean Kermit had been backstage. But then when he started <laughs> making jokes about Piggy again, I think I just felt a little, ugh, I can't wait for mean first season Kermit to disappear a little bit. I didn't, I mean, I guess I know what you mean. I didn't personally feel like he was being over the top mean to Piggy in this. There was the joke about her being flat, wasn't there? Yeah. But it wasn't like they were making jokes about her being a pig. Which no, true. we obviously quite often get at the moment. <laughs> Emma, what did you think of this chat? Spot? I thought it was quite nice. A bit like you were saying, Jade. I think it was nice to see a, a guest with Kermit who actually had quite a good level of interaction and fun like you say she looked really comfortable we kind of knew what was coming with miss piggy in the glass yeah but i did like their interaction with each other and there was a bit of a sort of cheesy boom gag with that at the end of it but you could kind of see ethel's personality a bit more which i think was really nice to see and also i i like the fact that like miss piggy was kind of hustling ethel for like tips and like how to succeed in showbiz and how to sing and and everything which is really funny and then all that for a singing lesson yeah exactly and then also i thought it was quite funny at the end with ethel when she kind of gets her own back on kermit when he sort of says oh you you know where you recorded for air raid sirens and she gives him a whack <laughs> another smack into a map yeah <laughs> i really loved her line when she was like some things are older than me. Fozzie's jokes. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then also, I, what I also really loved was Piggy, after she'd given her all of her platitudes and everything, when she like did her lips to the sides and did the, you got any tips? And like, it just was so Piggy, but a Piggy yeah. that we haven't really seen an awful lot yet. Yeah. And again, it just felt like they were, they're getting there. They're so getting there with Piggy. Yeah. I don't know about you two, but to me, she felt, Pretty spot on 
this episode in a yeah, lot of ways really close yeah yeah i agree yeah i thought it was really lovely and even if there were some things like seeing the champagne glass and knowing well that's getting smashed by a note it was still done in a fun way that yes. it didn't feel belabored at all so if we go from the sparkling personality of ethel merman to the richard bradshaw shadow puppet <laughs> and uh... i think i know whatever <laughs> thinks of these <laughs> I think you already know what I think of this. <laughs> and it's literally, tell us. I wrote, yikes. It reminded me, you know, when you go on like a trip and it's like the added extra after the meal, and it's like, we've thrown in a puppet show for you to see, and it's like the most awful thing you've ever seen in your entire I've got life. So Emma, many what trips? Yeah, sorry, Emma, what, what trip have you got on where you go for a meal and then they lay on some shadow puppet theatre? <laughs> this is not any family holiday no, that I've been about, on. No, not precisely this, but I've Oh, been not precisely I've shadow been... puppets. You mean the entire point of this <laughs> analogy you were making? <laughs> no, but it's like one of those horrible things where they're like, and with this you get thrown in like a puppet show or a dance or like some sort of like falcon display. <laughs> <laughs> a falcon display? <laughs> what? <laughs> Right, we've gone fully off. No, what? Whatever. The fucking display wheels. <laughs> Where did you dredge that up from? I can't breathe. <laughs> Does the falcon bring you your bill? I don't understand. No, if you don't pay your bill, they send the falcon after you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus. How are we going to talk about fucking shadow puppets now? Okay, so... Yeah, I... When it first started, I was very much like, okay, this is kind of interesting. We're getting to see a different puppeteer do their different puppeteering thing. And I was just thoroughly disappointed. Especially when it cut back to the second... The second act. Oh, when we, oh yeah. When we went back for act two, I... I, I fully you are outstanding you're welcome here Richard Bradshaw <laughs> but it was basically exactly the same thing again <laughs> it, was, it was it was exactly the same as he only got three puppets <laughs> what kind of rinky dink shadow puppet operation is this <laughs> 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 oh so it's one flamingo one mouse and one hippo it was an just doing it was different I don't care. I don't care. He should have cut it better if he wanted that to be clear. <laughs> yeah, it was. And there was obviously no. I mean, even if he, even if he did only have those three puppets, he could have made a little story with them or something instead of just repeating the same gag <laughs> on a slide and then on a typewriter. What? What? Also, yeah. I don't know how you two both felt, but that music at the end sounded like the kind of music you get in Tomorrowland. <laughs> At Disney. <laughs> yes, it does. And I was like, if I'm not going on the people mover, I'm not interested. Yeah, this feels like something they'd show you within the carousel yes. of progress to be like, and look how crap yes. entertainment used to be. <laughs> Thank God we have our black and white televisions now, sponsored by Modesto. <laughs> yeah, this was an interesting choice. It. It does. It just didn't feel very Muppet show. It just didn't feel very Muppety. It felt like some filler material you'd see on a children's program. Or after dinner, as Emma would 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it also, it kind of made me think in within Kermit's introduction, I don't like being reminded that the Muppets are puppets. Yeah. I like the Muppets and I love watching the artistry of the Muppets. But to me, they are real characters. And then to draw attention to their puppetness by showing us other puppets, shit puppets, it's, it, 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 it just cheapens the whole operation. It's like having a five-course meal and a falcon display. It just... <laughs> it really just, you know, colours the entire meal. Yeah. It's like when you go, like, somewhere and you're going to go Oh, Emma, like what a... now? Jesus, what comparison are we getting now? No, I was going to say, it's a bit like when they try and get you to do those green screen photos before you do an experience. <laughs> okay, that's... Yeah, okay, I'll go with that one. Yeah, okay, I'll give you... Yeah. That is more like it, Emma, you're right. Yes. You're right. Yeah. The only other thing I want to say about it was that, obviously, we didn't have the ballroom. We didn't have at the dance in this episode. We really so, didn't. So, presumably, this was probably in place of that... And maybe like the houses or something. Because obviously this was quite long. Or Wayne and Wonder as well. Or Wayne and Wonder. Yeah, maybe this was in place of Ballroom and Wayne and Wonder. And I don't know, would we would we feel more or less positive about the episode in general if we had had a crappy Ballroom sketch and a terrible Wayne and Wonder pun instead of Richard Bradshaw's... Shadow puppet. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just imagine him turning up to your school to do a puppet show and it's just the same three puppets <laughs> a dozen times, each time just doing the same task one after the <laughs> other. It's just made me think of, I promise you this is an apt comparison, not a Falcon show. It's made me think of in, in, in Motherland, you know, when the guy turns up with the cats. <laughs> yes! Yes! The children's entertainer. Oh yeah, yeah, he's meant to be like a yeah, 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 with all the animals, and it's just one an animal show. An animal show is just a bunch of cats. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what this was. Oh my god. Uh, I think we should just. I. I think. I think we're done talking about Richard Bradshaw's. Oh yeah, we're puppets. moving on. Yeah, we're moving, moving on big time. Yeah. All right. Right. Let's just get onto Fozzie now. I actually didn't mind this variation on Fozzie does bad stand up. I, I it was the most the Muppet Show audience got to do ever, and I quite liked that. <laughs> I loved the bizarre one line appearance of Fozzie's cousin, just to be like, "That's my cousin up there," and it's just. <laughs> that would be like me if I ever cameoed in any of your films or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I, I, although it's still fuzzy being a sad sack, I at least appreciated that it was a twist on it, rather than just him being beaten down by, I was going to say Mulder and Scully. Emma, this falcon display thing has totally broken my brain. <laughs> Statler and Waldorf. Jesus. I, I, so I didn't mind it so much, but it, yeah, but it then slightly muddied the backstage scene that followed it where Kermit agrees to pay ten times more of nothing, obviously, but that the agent or Fozzie wouldn't realise that he'd just done a terrible turn on stage and then is going to be given ten times more money. I know that's kind of splitting hairs and it's a joke, but I I, I didn't mind this this week's Fozzie. What did you guys think? 
I think I'm just done with Sad Sack Posse, which I realise we've said many times before. But this just felt, to me, even worse, because not only was it Statler and Waldorf being mean to him, but actually it was the entire audience. And the fact that Fozzie didn't have the foresight to realise that if he turned his back on the audience and said, I only want to see Fozzie Bear fans, that there was going to be no one in the audience. And his little face when he turned round, he was so sad. And I think the only bit that I liked in the whole thing, other than obviously the fact that Statler and Waldorf did then laugh at the end at his final joke, I quite liked seeing Manamana run away, (laughs) scurrying away in the audience. But I just, I don't know, it just made me really sad. Like I just, I just found it really, really upsetting that Fuzzy is, is trying so hard. And even like he said, even my cousin, you know, his family have come to see him and they're still not even sticking around. I just felt awful for him basically. And I found it quite hard to overcome what I felt like were the true emotions of Fuzzy being really quite sad to to find any humour in it, mm. I guess. I think that was my real my real problem with it. And yeah, and I also just felt like when Stout and Wardle did laugh at his final joke at the end, and then he still threw the tower and was like, ugh, it's too late. I was like, no, like, they're laughing at you, Fuzzy. Seize your moment. Like, I just don't feel like he's got any of his sort of get up and go to to actually be the comedian that we know he is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, Jade. I think in this spot, Fozzie has been so up and down. Some weeks have been really funny, really good. Like when he was with Bruce, that was really funny. And then you kind of, you go back to like sad sack Fozzie and it's just kind of, it goes back in his character development. And I think it's a shame because he seems to come really far and like we can identify him as like the Fozzie we know and love today. And then the next episode, you can go like right back again. And I think this could have had a different play to it. I think with having like the interaction of the audience and his cousin and Statler and Waldorf, I think they could have played it differently. Um, so he didn't end up looking kind of sad and disappointed that it kind of didn't land. And I just think it was just a shame like it could have gone so much better I think like in terms of just development of Fozzie and it just didn't really have him playing to his strengths and I wonder if that is maybe because of the runner the whole thing with the fact that you know he's got a rubbish agent he's not very good at negotiating and so I don't know if they felt like that's where maybe why they decided that Fozzie would kind of go back to sad sack Fozzie but it was just a bit disappointing to see him back at that point, really. You saying that, Emma, about how it could have gone in a different direction made me think that, and maybe this would have been far too kind of positive for the 70s, I don't know, but you could have gone with like a Little Miss Sunshine ending where the cousin got up on stage with Fozzie and was helping him out. And I mean, I'm not saying that anyone needs to be doing (laughs) thrusting. <laughs> Although also I think it probably would have been that that Fuzzy's cousin was just the Fuzzy Bear puppet in a hat. So I do <laughs> And they might have used They already did some CG this episode though. They could have done a split screen or something. I don't know. Maybe they maybe it, that mouse number looked so good because they'd used the green screen budget. <laughs> I think. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I don't I agree with you Emma. like they it could have it could have had a similar setup but gone in a very different direction. Mm. And and just felt that much better, I think. However, it did lead us, once we got backstage, into our finale number. 
the second <laughs> Ethel Merman appeared backstage, I just thought, well, it's no business like Shubin. I was just like, okay, so this is what we're doing. And then I thought, have we got to the end of the episode already? I was kind of amazed at how fast it's uh, gone by. This was such a lovely, lovely number. Mm, it was joyous. I've said this before, but there's no business like show business, like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. There's no people like show people. They smile when they are low. Yesterday they told you you would not go far. That night you open and there you are. Next day on your dressing room They've hung a star. Let's go on with There's no business like show business, like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. The slightly slowed down version to start and then leading into a full, you know, finale. And the way all of those Muppets crowded around her, Fozzie's face of pure wonderment looking up at Ethel Merman and also shout out to George on the far right just solemnly listening <laughs> it was really just keeping his toe in showbiz <laughs> he really was yeah part of me was a bit like you are in sanitation you are not in showbiz no but I think they had actually picked the Muppets that listened to her sing to start with really really well you had Hilda who works in costumes you have Gonzo who is at this point the great artiste of the Muppet Show. Yes. Um, you had Miss Piggy and George, who were mm. both very involved in show business, as we know. Um, you had Wayne and Wanda, who... <laughs> Getting their only appearance <laughs> I episode. thought that was quite funny, because when, when they were up, obviously, on the balcony, and they're kind of, like, slightly cut, so you can't see all of them. You could imagine <laughs> yeah. them doing it like, what? What? <laughs> and also, when the kind of chorus kick line of all the Muppets come on for the song they are right at yes. the end of the line they get onto camera for two seconds and then they are gone again and you can just imagine Wayne and Wanda being quietly pissed in their Wayne dressing room thinking we're what did no, I no, say no. I was just gonna oh you carry on. oh like being quietly pissed in their dressing room thinking we're the only singers that they actually regularly have on their roster and we get Ethel Merman and we get nothing Wayne and Wonder are truly the Mike Wazowskis of the Muppet show ah! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that is exactly what it is yeah and then and then it was Kermit and Scooter who obviously are you know, very involved in the the backstage business of the Muppet Show too. So I just I felt like they'd actually picked those Muppets really well of who would want to be listening to Ethel Merman sing this song about the love of performing. And yeah, 
if Gorgon Heap and <laughs> had been standing there just like, <laughs> it would have maybe slightly tainted the magic somewhat. <laughs> Droop and the Kuzbane pups turn up. You're just like, what are you doing? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> the off-the-rack Muppets got a week off. <laughs> I, I agree, Lewis. I thought this was absolutely delightful. And the way it transitioned... Well, like you said earlier, the way they used the backstage and, and used proper lighting and really made it come alive. And then the way that it transitioned. I also loved Hilda handing her her plumage headpiece. Headpiece. Her headdress. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very Hello Dolly. And then, yeah. And then when it went on stage and it was the full on sparkles and the lights and the fact that it was like a proper proscenium arch as well. Mm. And it fa- it had a... It had a grandiosity to it, didn't it? The whole the whole thing. Yeah. You know, it felt it felt like such a wonderful finale. And I loved having the chorus girls go by on their their mini cake and then the the Muppet the Muppet lads, I don't know what you want to call them, go by The Muppet Lads <laughs> Go by in their car. Yeah. Um it just it was really, really wonderful and I I loved how they all crowded on stage at the end. That that you said it perfectly earlier. It's it's like a movie musical. That ending of mm. them all coming together with her to you know to basically celebrate celebrate <laughs> this business week all show. Yes. <laughs> oh, God! I want a job. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get on those puppets, Lewis. The insurance has gone up. Yeah, if, actually, maybe Richard Watts' Richard Bradshaw was onto a winner with <laughs> thinking the insurance premiums he's got for those three paper puppets. Maybe quits in. Maybe, maybe that was why he only had the three paper puppets because he equity hadn't sorted out the insurance for them yet. No. <laughs> they were very low at and the very time. flammable. <laughs> and in the seventies, you just got one little stagehand just putting a fag out, and that's half a third of your act gone. Oh, Emma, is there anything we haven't said about the finale that you would like to add? No, I think you kind of covered it, really. It was just, it was lovely. It was a really spectacular ending because, again, I mean, we have had episodes where the endings have been absolutely terrible. Um, And also we've had episodes where some of the guest hosts have been visibly uncomfortable in their end sketch slash song. And it was just so nice to see Ethel in full swing in the glittery dress with the head, you know, the feather headdress and then all of the kind of Muppets around her. And it was also nice to see Janice just come in with a, do a little chorus line. And I'm always really impressed when you see her and obviously whoever's puppeteering her and they can see where her he- when her hair's in front of her eyes and they always flick it back. <laughs> I just think that attention to detail was just spectacular. Um but no, it was it was lovely. It was full on showbiz. It was full on Muppets. It was it was just really really beautiful it to was. see. I'm going to be really interested to see how we each rate this episode because, well, for every Ethel Merman showstopper, there's a fucking shadow puppet. So, <laughs> or a falcon. <laughs> Or a pumpkin display. Reeling, still reeling. I don't. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I'm just going to be thinking about that. <laughs> All right, let's get into the uh, the ratings for this episode. But first, we have to choose our MVMP. Jade, who was your MVMP for the week? 
I wasn't sure who to go for because I feel like there was a lot of really strong performances from a lot of our key Muppets in this episode. But when I was going back through my notes for the episode, I really did love the opening. So I'm going to give it to Baby Java (laughs) because I thought they were so cute. And Frank Oz did such a great job, as he always does, puppeteering them. And there was such life in that opening number. I think if that hadn't have been Frank and Jim doing the puppeteering, maybe it wouldn't have sung as much as it did. But, you know, we spoke at length about the beautiful design of those puppets. Yeah. and A really and long time. How, <laughs> and how much we enjoyed the number. And I just thought it was lovely. And I think that that little one, there's just a, a spark and a cheekiness that I really loved. Um, and I know Emma was a bit perturbed by the uh, by the smoke at the end, but I thought that was a really nice little twist and and a great ending to that little performance so yeah i'm going baby java lewis how about you who's your mvmp i'm going exactly the same i'm going for the javas full stop a joy i want to play with them i i i, I loved it it was you want to touch them <laughs> <laughs> they were just great they were just i want to touch them <laughs> i want to touch them uh yeah they were I, there's nothing more i can add particularly after the three minutes you spoke about them being like a slinky. Emma, who is your MPMP for the week? Um, I'm going to go for someone different. Uh, my MVMP this week actually is Miss Piggy. From the top of the episode to the end of the episode, she was just on a roller coaster of kind of wanting to upstage Ethel, then she wanted tips from Ethel, then she wanted to like outsing Ethel. And I just thought she was just really funny. Um, and I just think that, again, like we were saying earlier, it's kind of like showing the truest self of Miss Piggy. And I just think that her interactions were really fun. It just seemed like she was having fun in this episode. And it was just nice to see her characterization um, appear that represented the Miss Piggy that we know and love today. So yeah, so I think for this episode, my MVMP is going to be Miss Piggy. Lovely. Well, Emma, let's stay with you. What are you going to rank the episode this week? So for this week, I'm going to give it eight song medleys out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Emma attempted three times to say Irving Berlin, and because we're slightly short on time due to a technical issue, Emma just gave up and just said eight song medleys out of ten. Oh God! Sorry. Uh, Yeah. So, (laughs) um, for this particular episode, I'm going to give it eight song medleys out of ten. I thought it was a great episode. Ethel Merman was a spectacular guest star on this episode. It had some great classic songs. Ethel obviously had her, well, she was just great. Her like anthem, uh, No Business Like Show Business. Um, It was really lovely to see all the Muppets interact with her. Like I said earlier, I really loved all of their interactions with her during the Muppet sort of medley duet section. But the reason I'm giving it eight is the shadow puppets. No. <laughs> no. And also the whole UK spot with Miss Mousy was just a bit weird, to be honest. So yeah, so this week I'm going to give it eight out of ten. How about you, Jade? So I'm gonna go for seven and a half opening nights of gypsy. Oh, <laughs> lovely. 
Don't you mean uh, Panama the Hattie? Panama Hattie. <laughs> you know, I'll leave that one for you, Lewis. You you took a... Nah, I've got a different you one. You took a fancy <laughs> to Panama Hattie. <laughs> I did. I, I think this episode was great for all the reasons Emma's already said. I loved Ethel Merman as a guest star on The Muppet Show. I think we've spoken about it, but, you know, her sense of show goes so well with The Muppets. And I think they really leaned into all of her amazingness um and it really came to the fore and i loved that they didn't really feel like they'd spared any expense either you know like that the finale but also the medley both felt appropriately grand for for the occasion but i'm marking it down just that little bit because as you've mentioned the uk spot was not the greatest um but also because i do feel like they've let me down with fozzy with this episode and I actually think that I just need him, just need him to be fuzzy. And I know we've only got a couple of episodes left of this season. So I'm really, really hoping that, you know, it's not long now before we, before we have him. <laughs> Lewis, what about you? Oh, and the, and obviously Richard Bradshaw. Sorry, I meant to say Richard Bradshaw as well. Obviously, yeah. I thought that that kind of went without saying yes. Sorry, Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give it seven and a half Falcon displays out of ten. <laughs> There's not really much more to add than you had both already said. Ethel Merman and the Muppets is such a potent combination. Their energy and love of show fits so well. And it made a really joyous episode. And actually, it was only really the moments where we cut away from either that interaction or just show business in general, whether it be shadow puppets or a mouse singing in a teacup that the episode suffered as i said i actually did enjoy fozzy's mm. or at least the variation in the the fozzy stand-up moment so i didn't mind it too much but really those were the only two weak points for me otherwise i just thought it was a real romp and i really couldn't believe how fast the episode felt like it went maybe again Twiggy is just floating in the <laughs> periphery of my memory about how that felt like the longest 25 minutes of my life. And this just sailed through. Joyful, 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 but not quite as full scale perfect as some of the others I have slightly higher. But still super, super fun. Jade, why don't you hit us with a little Muppet philosophy for this week? I shall. So... As usual, this is taken from Jim Henson, the biography by Brian J. Jones. I feel like we've seen some really nice characterization this week across the board with the Muppets. So I thought it might be interesting to read a little bit that's talking about the um, the character process and design for the Muppets and also their, their interplay between them. So, um, so speaking of Frank Oz and his approach to writing Muppet stories and coming up with the Muppet characters, Jim Henson said, Oz was very precise in terms of his characters and what they're all about and thinks through that depth of why they are and where they came from. And all of that creates wonderfully real characters. The book goes on. But capturing that spark of the characters, that oomph, as Oz called it, was the most important and most difficult part of any Muppet project. There's a sense of our characters caring for each other and having respect for each other, said Jim. A positive feeling, a positive view of life. That's a key to everything we do. Sometimes we're too heavy in terms of ourselves and trying to carry an idea and telling kids what life is all about. 
I often have to tell myself that too. Oh, that's lovely. And it so suits this episode as well. I mean, apart from a little, a couple of bits of uh, mean Kermit, but the fact that they felt like such a unit this week. They all care for each other and they just all want to put on a show which feels like what the Muppets are all about. Yeah. It's, uh... And I think also just we are getting that sense of them being a, a troupe that all work together as well. You know, I think that that sense of the interplay between different characters is starting to come through. And actually just even having them perform in a medley with Ethel Merman is is part and parcel of that, isn't it? You know, it's like who gets to sing which song. It's lovely. It's really lovely. And on that note, thank you so much for listening to Muppet Sational. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppet Sational on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and Jade, what's our TikTok handle? It is also at Muppet Sational, Lewis. Oh, perfect. I just wanted to check. I didn't want to send kids to some other random part of the internet. I don't know. I don't do TikTok. (laughs) (coughs) I follow TikToks. Anyway, you can contact us at hiho at muppetspodcast.com and you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com. Thank you so much for joining us on (laughs) what has been a joyous uh, episode back for us after a little uh, break. Uh, We love doing this show and it's so nice to chat to my two lovely co-hosts every week. So until next week, I've been Lewis Chandler. Goodbye. Go enjoy that Falcon show. I've been Jay Turner. Bye. (laughs) And I've been Emma Chandler. Bye. (laughs) She (laughs) contains the Falcons. She's (laughs) she's the person who has to load them back into the van after it finishes. We shall see you next week on another episode of Muppet Sational. Bye! Bye! Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin MacLeod and our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge who you can follow at at charlie underscore r underscore rudge on Instagram. Well, Emma, let's stay with you. What are you going to rank the episode this week? So this week, I'm going to give it eight Irving Berlin... Ugh. Let's start again. Um, so for this episode, I'm going to give it eight Irving Berlin... Oh, I can't say it. Sorry, guys. Hold on. Emma, we're on 2%. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So for this week, I'm going to give it eight song medleys out of 10 